All right, good morning. It's good to see you all. Yeah, it's good. Yeah, thanks. I'm glad you're, I'm glad you're happy to see me. <laughs> hey, before we uh, continue our series called Everyday Mission, uh, Everyday Missionaries, I've got just a few quick announcements for you. Uh, we say here all the time that our uh, church has a lead pastor, and that lead pastor is... Jesus, right? Uh, but under Jesus, we have a, a group of qualified men called elders. We, call, uh, we refer to them elders as, as a group. Uh, individually, we call them pastors. Uh, and so uh, we are always looking uh, for people who uh, aspire to be a pastor or an elder here at Grace Point Church who feel called by God to uh, help care for his church. And so we are starting off this year a, our elder process. Uh, now, this is a two to three year process. Uh, and uh, if you, uh, if this is you, you feel called by God, or maybe this is something you're interested in and in finding out more about this, uh, there's a sheet that looks just like this out at Centerpoint. I want you to go to Centerpoint after the gathering, grab one, pick one up. Uh, it's going to kind of detail out the whole entire two to three year process, what that looks like, uh, and tell you what your next step is towards that journey. Sound good? All right. Uh, also, uh, last year we did an end-of-the-year giving campaign called Beyond 2022, and we've extended that through 2023, actually through the end of this month. Uh, and we've said from the very beginning that every single penny uh, that we raise through this giving campaign is going to go outside the walls here at Grace Point Church. And so it's going to go directly to our overseas Partners. So many of you uh, know Carlos and Myra. They were covenant partners here uh, at Grace Point Church for quite some time. Uh, they uh, became missionaries to El Salvador. So they left just this past year uh, to go and serve the people of El Salvador. And so they have become one of our overseas partners. So when you give, part of that money is going to go directly to them to further their mission right there in El Salvador. But we also have partners in India and Turkey and Ireland. And, and here's the thing. We're not just sending them money. Money, but we uh, have developed relationships and friendships with them uh, throughout the years. Uh, we, we, we've uh, been seeing some videos from them this past year. Uh, and so uh, we, we, we want to not, not just care for them financially, but relationally as well. So we've been praying for them. Uh, and so we want you to know that every single dime is going to go directly to them. And so if you would, uh, if you'll notice over there on the right, there is a uh, some magnets on a board. Uh, go over there. You can go over there and just grab one of those magnets off and click on the QR code and give right there. Now, you may be here and say, Tim, well, I am uh, not financially in a place to give. And this is what I would encourage you to do. Go over there and grab a magnet anyway, and just maybe you're not committing to give, but maybe you're just going to put it on your refrigerator and you're going to commit to pray. Uh, so that way, that, that magnet can be there to remind you uh, to, to be in prayer for our overseas partner. And lastly, uh, for those of you uh, who are on the fence about joining uh, our, our refuge groups this time around, uh, I'm here to help push you off of that fence. Uh, so our refuge groups start tomorrow. So that today really literally is the last opportunity for you to sign up. Uh, trust me, if you sign up and, and, and attend refuge, it will be a life-changing experience for you. Uh, I think um, we, we've, we've touted the benefits of it for a while. And, and so some of you, I just want to encourage you, you just need to get in there and get at it. So um, that is available still for you to sign up. So go to gracepointvegas.com and you can sign up there. Sound good? All right, let's dive in. I want to introduce you this morning to a, a, a man by the name of Pedro Claver. 
Now, Pedro Claver uh, was born in Spain, uh, but he was saved as a young boy, and he felt called to, to be a missionary. So he left his home in Spain uh, and went and moved to uh, the town of Cartagena, Colombia. Now, this was back in the early 1700s. And as he became a missionary there in Cartagena, Colombia, uh, he took a missionary vow, and that vow was to become a slave to the African slave forever. Uh, if you don't know, if you've never heard of Cartagena, Colombia, it is a port city there in Colombia. And at the time, it was uh, during the time of slavery, it was the busiest slave market in all of South America. Each year, tens of thousands of slaves would enter uh, that port city uh, from ships coming from West Africa. And as uh, these uh, ships were coming in and these slaves were, 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 were coming into port there, the very first thing or very first person they would most likely see was Pedro Claver. Now, Pedro understood as a missionary that these, that these uh, slaves on these ships coming in uh, were likely not fed very well. Uh, in fact, they were probably hungry. Many of them were facing starvation. So he would show up with, with food and water, and he would administer to their physical needs. Not only that, he would understand that these, these slaves coming over, they would not be clothed very well. Oftentimes, they were just taken with the clothes that they had on their backs and shoved into these ships. And so Pedro would be there uh, with, with baskets of clothes, just trying to just give them clothes and clothings for, for, them to, for them to wear. And not only that, Pedro would understand that that would be a long journey over from Africa and the mistreatment that went along from there, just being hundreds of people being shoved into the holes of these ships. And he, he knew that they were probably sick. And so he would show up with doctors and nurses and, and medical personnel to provide them with ointments and medicines. And, and he, would, he would care for them. Many of them uh, would show up with, with just leprous sores all over their body. In fact, uh, it was often said that you could see Pedro risking his life, hugging and kissing and embracing these leprous slaves. And he was so moved by that that there was no leprosarium there in Colombia to, to care for these leprous slaves. So he and a bunch of other Jesus followers, they pooled their resources together and they, they, they built the very first leprosarium right there in Cartagena, Colombia. But not only that... Pedro not only saw that they were hungry and needed clothing and needed medicine, but he saw that they had a great need for a savior. So while these slaves were being held in these ships in port waiting to be offloaded, Pedro would literally go onto the boats and go down into the belly of the ship, and he, he would preach the gospel to these slaves. And many of them would come to know Jesus. It was said over his lifetime that Pedro baptized and discipled over 300,000 slaves. He would also find himself in trouble with local authorities because he would stand out there on the docks and preach against slavery. He would preach against its horrors. And he would actually go from plantation to plantation right there, even in South America. And he would continue the discipleship of those who would come to know Jesus. And when he would go to the plantation, he wouldn't stay in the guest quarters. He would go and he would stay in the slave quarters. In 1888, 
several hundred, uh, about a hundred years after his, his death, uh, he, be, he, was, he became canonized as a saint. And to this day, he is known as the saint of those who are enslaved. And so in an interview in 1654, uh, right before his death, uh, the interviewer asked Pedro, why did you do this? Why did you leave your home in Spain, this, 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 this comfortable life, and go live a life of poverty all the way ac- across the world? Why would you give your life to become a slave to a slave? Why would you spend all of your time and your effort and your resources feeding and clothing and caring for and hugging and embracing these people? And his answer was, because I had compassion on them. We're continuing our seven-week series called Everyday Missionaries. And last week, Pastor Ty, he set up our series. Uh, he, he, he kind of just laid out where we're going to be going over these next several weeks. And so if you haven't had a chance to go listen to it, uh, please do that. It will be worth every moment of your time. Uh, but, but last week, uh, he shared that you and I, that we are called, that we've been saved by God, and we've been called on God's mission, that we've been called to be catchers of men, right? Like, like we get that, we understand that. Uh, but the question needs to be asked, how? How are we to be catchers of men? How are we to do that? What, what does that practically look like? And so that's where we're going to be headed today, and that's where we're going to be headed over the coming weeks. So if you have your Bible, turn with me over to Matthew chapter 9. We're going to begin in verse 35. Now, here at Grace Point Church, we, we want you to have a Bible. So if you're new here, we just want to say welcome, that we're, we're glad that you are here. Uh, for your convenience, we're going to put the verses for you on the screen, uh, but we also want you to have God's Word in your hand. So you, if you'll notice, there's going to be tables kind of set around the gathering that have Bibles on them. If you want a Bible, you can just get up right now. No one's going to look at you weird. Go grab a Bible. It is our gift to you. We want you to keep it. It is free. Uh, also, you can go head out to Center Point on your way out and grab a Bible directly from there. Uh, and that is our gift to you as well. So let's see how we are called to be catchers of men. What does that practically look like? What can we do? So Matthew chapter 9 says, And Jesus went through all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction. And when he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to the disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. And so right here we see in in Matthew chapter 9, Jesus is right here in the middle of his earthly ministry. And he's been walking from town to town. He's not driving. Uh, he's walking. There, there, there wasn't an Uber back then. Uh, he wasn't taking the Uber donkey. Uh, he, was, he was walking from town to town with his disciples. And he was going into the, the synagogues and he was preaching and proclaiming the good news. Uh, he was ministering to people. He was uh, healing the sick. He was casting out demons. He was doing all of these miraculous works. And people was like, man, this, this great teacher, this great rabbi, he speaks with 
such authority. Like I, the people just like, I want to hear what he has to say. And so uh, no doubt that that word about Jesus was, was getting out and was traveling from um, village to village and city to city and town to town. Uh, and, and as word gets out that, that Jesus was about to come to your village, uh, then all the people, what they would do is they would begin to gather around the city gate or they would gather around uh, like the, the main road leading into town and they would just wait for Jesus to, to, to come into town because they, 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 they were desperate, they were harassed and they were helpless and they just they wanted healing. They wanted something from Jesus. So you can imagine that as Jesus was entering this town or a town, you would imagine the kinds of people that he would see. He saw the, the well-to-do, and he saw the movers and shakers, and he saw uh, the, the, the elite religious officials. No, he, he saw all the people that were harassed and the people that were helpless, people that were sheep without a shepherd. And so he would see all of these people and he would have compassion on them. And he would go and he would, he would preach the, the good news of the gospel to them. He would say, like, the like, kingdom of God is at hand. Uh, and he would preach to them and he would heal them from diseases. And he would feed them uh, and, and he would cast out demons. And he would eventually go on to give his very life for them. And I'm sure if Jesus was here and we interviewed him, and we said, Jesus, why did you do that? Why did you feed these people? Why did you uh, share the good news with these people? Why did you heal them? Why did you cast out demons? Why, why would, you, would you give your life for them? I'm sure his answer would be because I had compassion for them. So what is, what is compassion? What does that look like practically? Well, the dictionary definition of compassion is, uh, this is from Merriam-Webster. It says, Compassion is the sympathetic consciousness of others' distress together with a desire to alleviate it. The New Oxford American Dictionary defines compassion as a sympathetic pity and concern for the sufferings and misfortunes of others. And that's kind of the, the definition that we are, have been working with. And that kind of defines compassion for us today. But what I want to look at today is I want to look at this text. And I want you to see what true biblical compassion is. What, what the Bible has to say about compassion. And really from our text today, there are three components uh, that uh, biblical compassion Requires, And so we're going to walk through that slowly this morning. So the first thing that biblical compassion requires is that biblical compassion requires me to see the need. Look, look at verse 36. He says, when he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them. He saw that they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. See, Jesus, as he was walking in, he, he saw the great need of the people. Uh, he was aware. He was very tuned in to what was happening around him. He wasn't distracted. He wasn't turning a blind eye to it. He, he knew that as he was walking into this town or this city, that he, he knew that God had sent him there on mission. And so he was focused solely on his mission. Let me ask you this morning are you distracted? Are you distracted from the needs around you? 
Or are you aware of all the needs that are going on around you? Now, I don't know if this happens at your house, but it happens at mine. Uh, I have two teenage boys, and part of living in our house that we have chores that need to get done. So one of the chores that my teenage boys is responsible for is taking out the garbage. And so uh, over this past Christmas season, because we, you know, we were particularly messy, we had lots of things that needed to get thrown away, like boxes and wrapping paper and, and packages and things like that uh, that we were throwing out, uh, inevitably the trash can would get full. In fact, sometimes it would just be like, it would be overflowing. Like, it's like packages are just falling out all over the floor. Uh, and I know this makes it sound like we're really dirty people in the Fraser household, but I assure you we're not. Um, uh, anyway, uh, it, it was just funny because we could see the boys go into the kitchen and walk right past uh, the garbage can, and it would never occur to them that, hey, like, hey, the trash is overflowing. I need to take it out. I mean, I, I even saw one of them walk into the kitchen put something on top of it. <laughs> it would drop off onto the floor and they would just kind of turn around and walk away. Uh, and, and so they were distracted by whatever that they did not see the need that the trash had to be taken out. Now, here's the thing. I don't think it was because my boys were lazy. I think it's just because they're teenagers and they just don't see things like that, right? Like, like they had whatever is going on in a teenage brain. I don't know. It's been a while. I can't really remember very much. Um, uh, but, but they were distracted by all kinds of things. And they didn't see the need of the trash to be taken out. But you know, before we're too hard on our, our teens, I know I'm like that too. I know that I am easily distracted. Uh, if, you, if you know me well at all, you know that I am not a multitasker. And so I typically can only do what is right in front of me. And so if something comes into my purview, I get distracted from that. That goes by the wayside, and I just, I'm just doing whatever is in front of me. Uh, Andrew, he's learned anytime he comes into my office... Um, to wait until I'm doing whatever I'm done. Because if he starts talking and, and telling me something and while I'm doing something else, he knows that I've heard him, but I haven't really heard him. Uh, and, and so I, I, I get easily distracted. But guess what? It's not just me, I don't think. I think it's all of us. I think we all easily get distracted. And really, our culture more and more is lending to distraction more than it is attention and focus. Now, I've used this quote before, and I think it bears repeating again, uh, because I think repetition is the key to learning. And so if you're like, man, he just used this quote not too long ago, uh, it's because I really want you to get this, because I think it's very important. Um, it's, a, it's a guy by, the, uh, by an author by the name of Neil Postman, and he talks about our attention. He says, the modern world is a battleground for your attention. When companies build apps and produce television series or market products to you, they are fighting for your attention. This is because they know that where your attention goes, your dollars follow. Attention is the most valuable resource on the planet right now. And most of us are giving it away without a second thought. He's saying everything around us is trying to keep us distracted is vying for our attention, to keep our focus off of what it needs to be uh, attending to. And, and he goes on to say that, that one of the biggest contributors to our distraction is media and entertainment. Look at what he says. He says, our politics, religion, 
Social media, news, athletics, education, and commerce have been transformed into congenial adjuncts of show business. Largely without protest or even much popular notice, the result is that we are a people on the verge of amusing ourselves to death. We are a people that is distracted. And the whole system is really designed to keep our attention off of what we need to be focusing on. I think this is why Scripture over and over, over and over again, tells us that we need to be sober-minded. Look what Paul says here in 2 Timothy. Turn with me over to 2 Timothy chapter 4, beginning in verse 5. Paul writes this. He says, As for you, always be sober-minded, endure suffering, do the work of an evangelist, fulfill your ministry. I think what Paul is saying here is really to be on mission, to be involved in the ministry that God has given to us, to do the work of an evangelist, to to be able to see the needs around us. We have to be sober-minded. Because when we're distracted, when our attention is focused elsewhere, we, we, we fail to see the needs of people around us. So biblical compassion requires that I see the need, but biblical compassion also requires that I feel the need. Look here at verse 36 again. He says, when, the, when he saw the crowds, it says he had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. And so I'm not going to embarrass myself by, by giving you the actual Greek word because I, I, just, I, don't, uh, I can't pronounce it without sounding like uh, an idiot. Uh, but the Greek word for compassion, it literally means to feel in the viscera. It means that we have this visceral reaction when we see the needs of others and, and, and we feel it. It's almost like, it's really it's saying that when you see the needs of people around you, and it moves you so much, it feels like someone is punching you in the stomach. Now, usually when we, when we think of feelings, we think of feelings with our heart, right? Like, I love them with all of my heart. But th- th- there's another level of emoting that goes beyond our heart, that goes deeper into our guts. That's where we kind of get the phrase, like, I, I hate their guts, and it just means like there, there's just something just visceral that I just, I just, I just don't like that. So that's what compassion is, is talking about, that, that when we feel, that when we see the need, that we feel this need, it's like we're getting punched in the gut. And so what it's saying is that as Jesus would walk into the town and he would see the needs of the people, it would be literally like somebody was punching him in the stomach because he just felt so deeply for the people that he saw. Let me ask you, when you see the needs of those around you, does that move you? Does it stir you? Does something deep inside you begin to stir and to turn? Does it feel like when you, when you look at the world around you and you see your neighbor across the street and you see your co-workers, when you see them in need or when you see that they're, they're lost and in need of a savior, does it, does it feel like a punch to the gut. But see, here's the thing, though, about biblical compassion. We can see the need, and we can feel the need, but we can still not have compassion. 
See, biblical uh, compassion also requires me to fulfill that need. Look at verse 37. He says, Then he said to the disciples, The harvest is plentiful, the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. And Jesus is, uh, is looking out at these people uh, and he sees these sheep without a shepherd and they're being harassed and they're helpless. And he, and he looks at his disciples and he says, look, look, come here. Like the, the need is so great and there's not a lot of people to help out. He's like, but guess what, guys? We have to do something about it. Now, the Latin word uh, for compassion, I'll attempt this one. The Latin word for compassion is compati, and it literally means to suffer with. It means that, that I'm going to get into the middle of that suffering, and I'm going to suffer with you. I'm going to do something about it. Imagine if God's up in heaven, and he looks down on us, and he's like, man, those people, they need saving. They are harassed and helpless. Uh, they're being tormented. I mean, just look at all the, the tragedy and all the things going to hurt. And just look at all that they're enduring. You know, I really feel bad for them. And then he moves on and does whatever else he's going to do. He doesn't do anything. But no, it's like Jesus, looked, like God looked down on us and he saw our great need for a Savior. Uh, and, and he had compassion on us. And, and it, it moved him to actually do something about it by sending his son Jesus to give his life for us. Jesus was so moved by our plight that he came and he willingly laid down his life for us. See, compassion requires that we get our hands dirty. Compassion requires that we get in the middle of the mess. It means that when I see the suffering of others, I'm not going to just stand at a distance and feel bad for them and, and send them thoughts and prayers. But no, I'm going to get in there and I'm going to do something about it. But here's the challenge for us. Here's the difficulty in all of this, is that you and I, we live in the digital information age, which means we are more wired in and connected than ever before. Uh, it was estimated that last year in 2022, the average American household had 22 different devices that were connected to the internet. That's the average American home. And, and, and to top it, off all, uh, top it off, we carry this thing with us, in our pockets, and it's constantly notifying us and letting us know of all the things that are happening in our worlds. I mean, uh, it, it's constantly just saying, this is what's happening. This is what's going on. We get minute-by-minute minute updates of all the things that are happening around the world. Do you know, it used to be that when something happened on the other side of the world, it would take weeks for it to reach this side of the world, if it even made it at all. And really, when, when we, we only knew about local news, things that were happening around us, uh, but, but, but news and satellites and our phones, uh, and especially with, with uh, Apple News, uh, we're constantly being bombarded with, with things that are happening right here and right now. Matter of fact, if a tragedy happens on the other side of the world, we're immediately notified of that, breaking news, right? And now we can go on our phone and we can watch uh, we can see photos. We can even watch 
live video of the tragedy unfolding right before our very eyes. I mean, we can get minute-by-minute updates. You know, when you log into the news, we get all kinds of tragedies. We get constant updates about the war in Ukraine. I mean, we're getting minute-by-minute updates about the investigation in Idaho, these four college students that were murdered in their home. The uh, unrest in Brazil, uh, earthquakes in Indonesia, uh, terrorist attacks. I mean, even while COVID was going on, there was was a ticker that every moment that was updated, this is how many infections, this is how many people have been infected, this is how many people have died. And it was just like this constant in-your-face notification of all the tragedy going on in the world. And that's just what we know. Who knows what tragedy, what tomorrow's tragedy will be? But here's the problem. You and I were never meant to carry the weight of tragedy for an entire world. I want to say that again. You and I were never meant to carry the weight of tragedy for an entire world. And here's the truth. The more and more tragedy we see, the more and more tragedy that we are exposed to, the more and more desensitized we become. Have you seen those ASPCA commercials? Like Sarah McLaughlin softly playing in the background. And it's got these poor dogs that are abused and malnourished. And uh, for 30 cents a day, you can rescue one of these dogs and uh, find them a, a loving home. And the dogs are there and they've got those big eyes and they're looking all real sad. I can remember the first time I saw that commercial. I felt really bad for those dogs. I was like, that's awful. Take my money. Here, like, like, do something about it. It's like, like, you feel bad. But guess what? I've seen that commercial now about a thousand times. And guess what? When that commercial comes on, I don't like it. I don't want to see it. Why? Because it's annoying. One, it's a really long commercial. It interrupts my television watching. Uh, and two, I'm just like, oh, well, I can... You know, those dogs can feed themselves. Uh, I mean, it's like, it, it, like I've seen, I, I've become so numb to that commercial. It just doesn't bother me anymore. There's a German writer by the name of Kurt Tukoski, and he says this. He says, the death of one man, this is a catastrophe. Hundreds of thousands of deaths, that is a statistic. It doesn't bother us. It's just a number to us. Why? Because you and I were never meant to carry the weight of the world on our shoulders. It's actually interesting. Sociologists have been studying this, and they have found that humans only have the capacity to carry the weight of living in a village of the size of 150 people. But you and I, we are so plugged in. We are so aware of the needs going on around us. that we, we can't help but just turn a blind eye to that. We can't just, we just, we, 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 we almost, we, we can't bear that weight. And so what do we end up doing? We, we, we know we can't, so, so we have to desensitize our, our hearts. We, in some ways, we kind of have to stick our head in the sand, don't we? But here's what happens when we stick our heads in the sand or when our hearts get desensitized. We, don't, we can't selectively desensitize. 
if we become numb, we become numb to everything. If we become desensitized to all the things that are happening out there, guess what we become desensitized to in our own immediate worlds? The needs of those around us. Because we can't tolerate, we're not meant to carry the weight of the world around us. But let's pretend for a moment that we could. Let's pretend that we can have the capacity to see all the needs of the entire world around us. But even if we could see all that, do we have the capacity to deeply feel the need of the world around us? We don't. We don't. Like, I don't have the emotional capacity to feel the weight of all the needs that I see around me. Not only that, I don't even have the capacity to meet all of those needs. I mean, it's just me, little, little old me, little old us. Like, what can I possibly do about all the things that are happening in the world? I mean, they've been trying to get peace in the Middle East for centuries upon centuries upon centuries. And people far smarter than me have been trying to figure that out. Uh, and, and, and countries have been working on that. Like, if they can't figure it out, why, like, how can I? Like, world hunger, right? We've been trying to solve world hunger for, for, uh, for, since the world began. But like, how, like, what, what can little old me do about world hunger? I mean, you think about all these people that are lost and, and dying without Jesus. Like, there's, there's so many. The, the need is so great. What can, what can little old Tim, what can I do about it? And, I mean, and the last time I checked, I can't save anyone. So what am I supposed to do? It's evident, we see from Scripture, that, that, that God says you, we, we're, we are supposed to do something, Right? Like we're called to do that. We're called on his mission. But, but what can we do? That's a really great question. Let's look at verse 36, uh, 37. Then he said to the disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. The very thing that Jesus asked us to do, to join him in mission, is to pray. Jesus asked us to begin mission with prayer. That we're to pray to the one who is actually able to carry the weight of the world on their shoulders. Pray to the one who can actually do something about all the tragedy that's going on in the world. He, he calls and asks us to pray. Now, here's a few things about this verse. One, this verse implies that we are already laborers working in his harvest. The idea is that, uh, that we're to be praying, but the idea here is that we're already laboring in this harvest, that we uh, realize uh, that as we're going along and we're working in this harvest, that we realize, man, the need is too great for me. The need is too great for us. And so what we need to do is pray to the Lord of the harvest, the one who owns the farm in the first place, and ask him to, to send out more laborers to help us in this mission. Now, if you think about it, this is kind of a strange command. But I think it points to something really important here. Uh, it's strange in the fact that, that, that you and I are laborers, 
And we're, we're asked to, to ask the owner of the farm to send out more laborers, as if the owner of the farm doesn't know that there's a labor shortage on his farm. Like, it, it, like surely Jesus isn't saying that God isn't aware that there's not enough people to, to work the harvest and that we need to, to clue him in that the, the, the need is so great. Like, surely Jesus isn't applying that. I think the only thing that Jesus could be implying here is that God has willed that his miraculous work of bringing in the harvest to be preceded by prayer. This is why I want you to see this morning. Mission begins with prayer. Compassion begins with prayer. And what prayer begins to do is prayer always aligns our heart with God. It aligns our heart with God's mission. Prayer uh, keeps me from just being uh, a hired hand, but prayer it involves me in God's mission. Prayer makes sure that I have, as I engage in God's mission, that I have the right motives. Do we know, like, we, we know that, right? Our motives matter. See, we can do all kinds of good things, but if we do good things with the wrong motives, then those things are useless to God. And so what prayer begins to do is prayer begins to align our heart with God, gives us God's heart, and gives us a heart for God's mission. See, prayer makes sure that we're building God's kingdom instead of our own. And so you're saying, Tim, all I got to do is pray? That's it? I can do that. That's easy. I can pray. Uh, to be on God's mission, all I got to do is pray? Uh, let, let me just say this. Mission begins with prayer, but it doesn't end there. That's just step one. If you want to know what the rest of the steps are, come back next week. We'll tell you what step two is. All right? Uh, and, and keep going on. We'll give you step one, step two, step three. We'll, we'll, we'll keep going practically what this looks like. But for now, mission begins with prayer. But what kind of prayer? Look back at verse, 30, uh, verse 38. It says, therefore, pray earnestly. So it, it, the mission begins with earnest prayer. Can I tell you why Jesus says pray earnestly? Where the earnest part comes in? Because it's the idea of that I'm just not back here firing off prayers. But if I have earnest prayer, if I'm praying earnestly, it means that I am fully bought into the mission. I am fully invested into what God is doing. I'm not just some hired hand, but I care about the harvest. I care about the Lord of the harvest, and I care about what He is doing. We care that our neighbor is lost and going to hell. We care that our, our co-workers don't know Jesus. See, mission begins with prayer, that God will move the hearts of his people to be laborers in his kingdom. But here's what prayer does. Mission begins with prayer, but prayer begins to grow my compassion, doesn't it? Prayer ensures that I'm not distracted. Prayer requires me to slow down and see the needs of the people around me. 
prayer requires uh, that even, even as I begin to see those needs and I'm slowing down and I'm praying, pray, prayer does something to my heart to where I, it begins to soften it and I begin to, to feel for those around me. And, and when I pray, I'm praying uh, not that somebody else would go do that, not that somebody else would go across and tell my neighbor about Jesus. Not that somebody else would come get hired at my work and tell the, my coworker about Jesus. But I begin to like, Lord, are, are you inviting me into this? Are you calling me to walk across the street and tell my neighbor about Jesus? Are you, call, are you calling me to come and, and, and join you in this mission? That's what earnest prayer is. And I can guarantee you the answer is always going to be, yes, I'm calling you. You're the laborer. See, the mission of the church ever since its inception has been to make disciples. If you look at Matthew 28, before Jesus is, uh, ascends into heaven, uh, uh, Jesus tells his disciples, go and make more disciples. This is where we get our mission statement from here at Grace Point Church. When we say we live to make disciples of Jesus that live in community for the community. Why is this mission statement so important? Because it's the basis of who we are as Christ followers. It's not just the mission statement of Grace Point Church, but really it's the mission statement of us as Christ followers to make disciples of Jesus. That's what we have been called to do. That we've been called to share the heart of Jesus, to have the heart of Jesus, and to go and be workers in his harvest. And I think this is one thing that the Bible is pretty clear on, that the goal of Christianity is not just to get to heaven, but the goal of Christianity is to join in God's mission, to be all he has called us to be in his kingdom. So what has God called me to be? What has God called you to be? Look at Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10. In Ephesians, it says God's created us to serve him, to serve in his harvest. Look at, is it, look at verse 10. He says, For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Isn't that amazing? I mean, think about it. Before God spoke a word uh, of, of the earth into existence, he decided that you and I would serve him. Before we were even thought of, he, he decided that we would be a, a critical part in building his kingdom. He said, Walter, you're going to serve me. Joe, you're going to make disciples. Virginia, you're going to be somebody that I'm going to use. Shakita, you're going to be a catcher of men and women. I think this is so beautiful and awesome. If you just think about it for just a moment, that the creator of all things has called us to be part of his mission. And so the real question for us this morning is are we going to respond to that? Do we have compassion? Do we have a heart for this mission that we are being called to? Do we care about 
this mission. Let's pray. Father, we come before you this morning and we're grateful that you love us. We're grateful that you had compassion on us. We're grateful that you saw our great need and that you cared enough to do something about it. You didn't just send thoughts and prayers our way, but Lord, you sent your son Jesus to give his life as a ransom for many. So Father, we, we thank you for that and we praise you for that. So Father, because of that, because you have saved us and adopted us and you've invited us to join in on this mission, Father, first and foremost, we just ask that you would uh, stir within us true biblical compassion. That we just wouldn't uh, see the needs around us, that we just wouldn't feel badly uh, for them, but Father, that, that we uh, would be like you and be willing to, to join in and do something about that. And so Father, help us to begin to just begin that with prayer. And we just pray this morning that you would just stir in our hearts, that you would send us out, that you would send more people out into your harvest because uh, we, know, we know that the laborers are few. But Father, we confess that we always think somebody else will do that. Somebody else will join in. So like, pray that those people go and pray that uh, you, you send someone else. And so Father, we just pray that you would just stir in our hearts that maybe you're sending us Maybe you're calling us to walk across the street and share the good news with our neighbors, our coworkers, our friends, our family. And so, Father, we just ask and pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.